Hey, thanks for joining us today at Divine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and you can give by clicking the link below. But for now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message.
Come on. That, that video is pretty good, isn't it? Come on. We couldn't have the series called Best Year Ever without the best bumper video ever. Can we give it up for Robbie and the team in the back, man, putting that together? Incredible. All right, so how are you, church? Good. It's good to see you. My name is Andrew Irwin. I get to be one of the pastors here at the Vine Church, and it's a privilege and an honor to be with you on this third Sunday of the new year and this third Sunday in our message series in which we're looking at four spiritual practices that can help make this the best year ever for each of us. And because we're super creative, we went ahead and called the series Best Year Ever. And I hope that you've been excited and blessed by this series so far. So far, we've talked about the best prayer ever. And that prayer actually happened to be prayed by the best preacher ever. And it was a part of the best sermon ever. And then last week, we talked about the best practice ever. And that practice was actually exemplified by Jesus. And then it was explained by Jesus. That practice was abiding, which was something Jesus did throughout his ministry and throughout his life. And he taught about it in John chapter 15. And we see in a stretch of just 11 verses, Jesus uses the word abide or abiding nine times because he wants us to get the importance of that practice. And so now that we've covered the best prayer ever and we've talked about the best practice ever, today we're gonna dig into the best, the very best principle ever. Now, principles are kind of on people's minds this time of year, aren't they? Because at this time of year, we kind of recognize the importance of principles because principles help us fulfill the God-given potential that lies within each of us. And in January, we make all these resolutions that are based on the fact that we see that there is a gap between where we could be and where we are. And so we make a resolution to help us close that gap. And in those resolutions, there's a lot of principles at play. Well, today we're going to dig into the best principle ever. But before we do that, I want to just remind you of why principles matter. You see, sometimes we can have resolutions to help us pursue that closing that gap between where we are and where we want to be. But sometimes it's a reality check that causes us to recognize that we need to have better principles. That was the story for a friend of Pastor David's. He was telling me that when he was in high school, it was his senior year, and he and his friend received an invite to the end of the year award ceremony. It was kind of like a banquet to celebrate the top students of the year at the school. And Pastor David was not surprised that he received an invite. He was a bit of a nerd. He, w- he excelled academically, I think was the verbiage he asked me to use with you all this morning. Can we edit that part out, fellas in the back? That would be great. We'll take that out of the video. None of you mentioned that. I may or may not have called my boss a nerd. Okay, so he wasn't surprised to get an invite to that event. He did really well. He's a brilliant guy. But his friend and his 2.38 GPA were a little bit surprised to get an invite to the end of the year awards. But he got his invite, so he decided he was going to make the most of it. He got all dressed up, right? And he invited his parents and his grandparents, and they all went to this banquet. And he kind of sat there for the duration of it. And if you've ever been to one of these end-of-the-year celebrations, you know how they go. They kind of go award by award. They recognize individual after individual. Well, as the night went on, he recognized that he hadn't been called yet. And he was wondering if maybe there was a mistake that had been made in him receiving an invite. And then the principal stepped forward and said, our final award of the evening is the I Dare You Award. He then went on to explain that the I Dare You Award goes to the student who has not put forth their maximum effort, that there is a gap between what they are capable of and what they have put forth thus far. 
And as you can imagine, Pastor David's friend immediately started doing that deal where you start slinking down in your seat, right? And you start sliding down. And he started praying that prayer that some of you may have prayed, oh, dear God, no, oh, dear God, no, oh, dear God, no. And sure enough, the principal stepped forward and called him by name. And so he made the walk of shame from the back of the room all the way to the front. And he got up and he shook the principal's hand and he was handed a book by the principal. And he kind of slunk his way back to his seat. And in that moment, he realized he was completely embarrassed. Now, Pastor David said he tried to help him out a little bit. He tried to get a, like a clap going for him as he was making his way forward and back. Um, but apparently, it's hard to get a group of overachievers to clap for the underachiever award, right? And so, as you can imagine, he, he wasn't feeling great, and the car ride home didn't help matters either, because there's not any attaboys. There's not any, hey, good job, I'm so proud of you for not reaching your potential. Like, that, that Hallmark card doesn't exist. You know, there's not, hey, you didn't try hard enough, good job. No, no, that, that's, that's not out there. And so that night, he actually went home, and he started reading the book that he had been given. He turned to the very first page, and it was handwritten in there. I dare you to read the entirety of the book. The implication is, hey, I don't think you've read many books, as your GPA indicates. And so you know what? He started reading, and he read the entire book that night. And he actually admitted afterwards that that was the first book he had read cover to cover in quite some time. And there was something that stirred deep within him as he was reading and as he reflected on the experiences of that evening. And there was something that resonated deep within him. And he recognized, you know what? I haven't been living up to my full potential and I've got more to give. And so he started taking steps to put forth more effort and to become all that God had made him to be. And by all accounts to this day, he is actually living into his God-given potential. Because you know what he received that night? It wasn't book knowledge. It wasn't knowledge that would help him on a quiz or an exam. It was life knowledge. And often we refer to life knowledge as wisdom. Essentially, wisdom is knowing the right practices and principles and then putting them into place, right? If you know the right principles, the right things to do, then you actually have to practice those right principles. I mean, if he had just recognized, hey, I'm not living up to my potential, nothing would have changed, would it? But he didn't just recognize that. He responded by putting these right principles in place. And so what I wanna talk about this morning is the idea that principles are powerful. And this morning, we're going to dig into the best principle ever. And so if you brought your Bibles or have a Bible app available, I'm going to invite you to open with me to Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verse 7 together. Again, that's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. And as you're finding Proverbs, I want to let you know what the word proverb actually means. It comes from a Hebrew word, mashal. Can you say that with me? Mashal. Yeah, it's a good word because you know what it actually translates to? It means superior mental action. Superior mental action. So let's break that down. It means it's the best and it means it's mental, which means it's right thinking and it's in action, so it's right doing. So it's essentially where you get the right thinking and the right doing together, and you will have the best thing going. And this idea of Proverbs was something that was near and dear to a man named Solomon's heart. Solomon is actually the author of the biblical book 
of Proverbs. And he was known as the wisest person in the world while he was alive. And that's a, that's a pretty tall order, but, but here's why he was known that way. He actually became the ruler or the leader of the most powerful nation in the world at a very young age. And when he did so, the Lord came to him and he asked him a very simple question. He said, Solomon, what can I do for you? What do you want? Well, Solomon could have asked for anything. He could have asked for a mighty army. He could have asked for obedient citizens. He could have asked for a massive war chest. But do you know what he asked for? He asked for wisdom. And that wisdom is all that he needed in order to become one of the greatest kings to ever walk the face of the earth. And Solomon's request is actually the ideal setup for what we're about to read in Proverbs chapter four, verse seven. Let's check this out together. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. So the best principle ever is get wisdom, get insight. In essence, what it's saying is if you want to live into your God-given potential, then all you have to do is get the right principles and practice the right principles. Now, some of you might be going, why is get wisdom the best principle ever? I mean, that's, is that really that big a deal? I would say, yes, it is. And here's why. Did you know that wisdom is actually greater? It's of more value than the best earthly possessions. Proverbs chapter three says that wisdom is of more value than silver, and it's more precious than rubies. Proverbs 16 tells us that wisdom is even more valuable than gold. I mean, that's pretty cool. But not only is wisdom of more value than earthly possessions, it's also stronger than the strongest earthly power. You don't believe me? Let's check out together Ecclesiastes 7.19. It says this, wisdom strengthens more than 10 rulers. It's got the strength of more than 10 rulers. But we don't have to just look at some of the wisdom literature to see this. Jesus himself spoke about it. He said that wisdom is building upon the strong foundation so that if there's circumstances or situations that come your way, you will not be shaken. Why? Because wisdom's stronger than anything this world can throw at it. Wisdom's critical. It's foundational. And not only that, not only is it of more value than earthly possessions, not only is it stronger than the strongest power on earth, it's also better than the best peace on earth. Now, earthly peace that we're familiar with comes from you know, temporary things like satisfying a goal or finding fulfillment in something you achieve or maybe a temporary happiness. And we all know happiness for most of us is merely based on what's happening to us or what's happening around us. Now, what, what the Bible says is that wisdom's even better than any of those things. Check out Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. It says, a person who finds wisdom finds happiness. A person who finds wisdom finds happiness. And then in verse 17, it says, wisdom brings pleasantness and peace. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was going to design the best year ever, it would be filled with happiness, pleasantness, and peace. My hope is that those are things that you're looking for. And the place that you'll find them is wisdom. Wisdom is the source of all of those things. And so my hope is that somewhere deep within you, you're, you're beginning to ask the question, so how do I get 
wisdom. And that's actually what we're gonna focus on this morning. I've got four ways for you to find wisdom, four ways for you to find wisdom. And the first is actually found in a phrase that's repeated throughout the scriptures. It's this phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, that word fear is kind of a misunderstood word. I hear it interpreted in a number of different ways. It's actually a combination of probably several things you've heard before. It simply means like a terror, like an actual genuine fright combined with the respect that we would feel towards an elder, a superior, a parent, a grandparent. Combined, combined with an awe a sense of wonder that you are in the presence of something or someone so much greater than you. And when you take that idea of that terror and that awe and that respect and you put it together, that's what we're talking about with this fear of the Lord. It's kind of like being in the presence of the Lord. Or maybe it's like when you've ever run from the presence of the Lord. And that actually becomes a pretty good filter for us. If you're trying to decide whether something is wise or not, A good question to ask is, is it going to lead me closer to God or is it going to lead me away from God? And here's an example for you. If you're trying to decide whether or not you should date someone, think about it in these terms. If I imagine myself running towards the Lord and I'm moving towards Jesus, do I see that person keeping up? Am I dragging that person? Or maybe... Maybe if I'm running away from the presence of the Lord, something has stirred within my soul that is leading me away from the presence of the Lord. And I look back, are they, are they kind of trying to stop me or are they leading me further and faster away from the presence of the Lord? Or maybe the best question of all is, hey, that person who I'm considering dating, if nobody was looking, which direction would they be going? Would they be going towards the Lord or hightailing it away from the Lord? See, this idea of the fear of the Lord can become a filter for us, not just for dating relationships, but for any decisions we've got to make within our business, within our family, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. All of those things can be filtered through this idea of the fear of the Lord, for it is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of wisdom. There's other ways for us to gain wisdom as well. In fact, God's word is filled with God's wisdom. God's word is filled with God's wisdom. This book is chock full of wisdom about all kinds of important things like money and marriage and time management and so much more. I mean, it's literally filled with wisdom. And I love that. I don't know about you, but my personal rhythm is for me to read through the Bible every other year. I used to read through the Bible every year, but I became like super pharisaical about it. Like, I mean, I would check it off my to-do list every day. And if anybody else didn't check it off their to-do list, man, did I cast an eye upon them? I was like, man, come on, right? I mean, I was like this. And so I had to kind of back away. And so I actually gave up reading the Bible altogether. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I switched to reading the Bible all the way through every other year. And what that allows me to do is on the years when I'm not reading all the way through the Bible, I can actually focus really intentionally upon specific parts of the Bible. And I can really kind of glean from them all they have to offer. And parts of the Bible that I love to dig into on those years when I'm not going all the way through is the wisdom literature. I love going through Proverbs. I love working my way through Ecclesiastes because there's just so much good stuff that can help me live the life that I was created to live, to help me be about the work that God has called me to be about in a way that is wise. 
And so I love going through it. So if you were to, like, if you were to go into my prayer closet and open my Bible, you would, if you flip to Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, you would see that that thing is like almost destroyed. I mean, I have written and circled and highlighted and underlined and written in the margins and above and below and got all kinds of stuff all throughout there. And in fact, my, my, my version of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are so full, the only person who I've ever seen who has like a Bible that's messier and sloppier and has more stuff written in it than mine is Pastor David. And Pastor David's Bible, if you ever see it, it's a thing of beauty. He actually has that thing color-coded because, he's a ner- because he is deeply devoted, very devoted to the word of God. And it's really cool. He's actually got it color-coded so that he can look for specific aspects of wisdom in there. So if he's got a question about finances, he's got a certain color marker for that. He can find all the references to that. For instance, like if he wanted to have wisdom about finances, did you know there's all kinds of wisdom? Like, Like even things like diversifying your portfolio. Do you know that's a biblical concept? Check out Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse two. It says this. Divide your portion to seven or even to the eight because you do not know what misfortune may occur. That's good wisdom. And there's so many more principles like that throughout the pages of God's word. And as good as the principles of God's word are, there's actually something better contained in here. It's the person of God's word. See, we don't just have to rely on the principles of the Bible. We actually have the person who helped author the Bible. We have Jesus himself. And you know what Jesus is, is referred to as in 1 Corinthians chapter, 20, verse, chapter 1, verses 24 and verse 30? He's referred to as the power and the wisdom of God. In John chapter 14, verse 6, what is Jesus referred to as? The way, the truth, and the life. And in Matthew chapter 12, we see that Jesus is referred to as being greater than Solomon, which would have been unbelievable for people to hear at that point in time because everybody believed that Solomon was the wisest ever. What would it take to be wiser than Solomon? It would take being the source of Solomon's wisdom, which is exactly what Jesus is. And we have access to Jesus Through his word, we can actually read his writings. But not only that, we have access to Jesus because he still speaks to us. He is the greatest source of wisdom for us. And I love that. Another way we can actually gain this wisdom that is so valuable is by surrounding ourselves with people who are wise. Pastor Dave and I like to refer to this as a wisdom council. It's a wisdom council. It's people in your life who you can go to who can speak wisdom into your life. And if you're going, hey, what would that look like to have a wisdom council? Well, it starts like this. You find people who are like-minded and like-hearted with you, who believe the same things, who care about the same things as you. And here's what I like to tell people. Find people who are further down the road than you are. Think about where you want to be and find people who have either been there or are there now. And then ask them questions. Ask them all the questions you can. I always start by just going to people and saying, hey, can I have permission to come and pick your brain? Can I have permission to come and ask you questions when I'm struggling? Can I have permission to come to you and let you speak wisdom into my life? For me, the areas where I most look for wisdom circle or wisdom council people It's where I see people who have a family that I want to have a family like or who have a faith that I want to have my faith be like. 
And I go to those people and I say, can I, can, I conclude, can I include you in my wisdom counsel so that when I'm trying to make a hard decision, I can come to you and get your insight, get your wisdom. But here's the other cool thing about having a wisdom counsel. You shouldn't just ask them for permission to, to ask them questions. You should actually give them permission to come to you and ask you questions. Here's why. If you've said, hey, here's the man I wanna be, here's the woman I wanna be, here's the family I wanna have, here's the finances I wanna have, here's the faith I wanna have, and they see you not walking a path that's gonna get you there, you give them permission to come and speak truth into your life so that they can change your trajectory, so they can change the course or the path that you are currently walking on so that you can make wiser choices. And when you surround yourself with people like that, it's a game changer. And so my guess is some of you might be going, I, I don't know that I have anybody in my life who I would consider a wisdom counsel person. Well, let me just tell you this. One of the best places that you can look for wisdom counsel people is within your own connect group. And if you're unfamiliar with the idea of a connect group, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's a group of six to 16 people who meet for 12 weeks in homes to learn more about Jesus so that their lives can look more like Jesus. And it's an opportunity for people to come together and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. It's an opportunity to laugh with people, cry with people, and be there with people through all that life throws their way. And we wanna encourage all of you to be in a connect group because they're filled with wisdom. And if you're going, well, how, how do I do that? We actually can show you pretty quickly right here. You, all you have to do is go to our website, connecttothevine.org, and you can find this page on there. This is our small group setup. And all you have to do is say, hey, I'm looking for a group that meets on, I don't know, Tuesdays. And you can actually click on the Tuesday button there and it'll show you what groups are available, how many spots are available, what the group is gonna be about, when it meets, where it meets, all that kind of information will then be provided. Or if you said, hey, I need a group that meets in Brazelton, you can use that as a filter as well. You can find, oh, this group is still available. Oh, that looks like something that would be really helpful for me in this upcoming season. And then all you would have to do is click the sign up now button and it'll take you to your next steps to get you signed up. It's simple, it's easy, and we want it for you. Because my guess is, when you get involved in these connect groups, you're gonna find group collective wisdom. But you're also gonna find people who are like-hearted, like-minded, who maybe you have an affinity with, who you're gonna look at and say, hey, I'd love, I'd love to have a deeper relationship with you so that you can speak into my life and maybe I can speak into yours. It's a great way for you to discover wisdom. And the final way I wanna just share with you on how to get wisdom is the most complicated of all. So you might wanna write this one down, okay? So if you want to get wisdom, here's how you do it. You ask for wisdom. Do you need me to repeat that? Okay, just checking, all right? Ask for wisdom. And when you do that, you actually join a great company of people who have asked for wisdom before. Did you know people like Daniel, people like Solomon, People like Paul have all asked for wisdom. In fact, James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, actually wrote this. This is what he says about wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God. And here's the beautiful thing. This is a prescription in Scripture. And every time there's a prescription in Scripture, it comes along with the promise. And the promise is this. If you will be faithful to ask for wisdom, God will be faithful to provide it. But I do have a caveat for you. The wisdom God's gonna give may not be the wisdom you wanna hear because it's not gonna be earthly wisdom. It's gonna be heavenly wisdom. And it may not be what you want, 
but it will always be what you need. That was Raj's story. Raj was one of six children born in a Brahmin family in India. And Brahmin is the, actually the highest caste in the Indian caste system. And he actually had a very great childhood growing up. But when he was 13, he had an encounter with Jesus that radically changed his life. He committed to following Jesus, that Jesus would be the forgiver of his sins and the leader of his life. And he knew, he knew in that moment that he had a decision he had to make and he wasn't sure how to decide. And the decision was pretty simple. Would he share his newfound faith with his family or would he keep it to himself? Because he knew that his family, his family was deeply devoted to Hindu. And there was a chance that if he shared his faith with them, they would disown him. And so he prayed and he asked God, said, God, what do I do? And God gave him an answer. And so he, he faithfully carried out the answer that God gave him. So he went to his parents and he said, mom and dad, I have committed to my life to Christ. Jesus is the forgiver of my sins. He's the leader of my life. He is my Lord and he is my savior. And his parents disowned him. They actually disinherited him. He was completely cut off as a 13 year old. They literally treated him like he was dead to the point where they actually had a funeral for him. And as a 13 year old, he was then left on his own. He found himself walking the streets of Bangalore and sleeping in parks at night. And all the while, all the while, he kept asking the question, Lord, what do I do next? What do I do next? I was faithful to what you asked me to do. What do I do next? And the Lord told him, I want you to keep telling people about me. I want you to share with everybody you come in contact with the encounter you've had with me. And so with nothing else to lose, Raj started telling everybody he met about Jesus. And by the time he had grown up, he was actually leading a prayer movement in India that involved over 3 million people. And if you were to ask Raj to this day whether he made the wisest decision he could make when he was a 13-year-old, he would tell you, absolutely. It wasn't wise in the eyes of man, but it was very wise in the eyes of God. Church, my hope and my prayer for each and every one of you is that you will leave here today equipped with everything you need to pursue God's wisdom for your life. And hear this clearly, it may not be the wisdom that you want, but it will always be the wisdom that you need. And for some of you, you might be sitting there going, well, I don't know that I can ask God for wisdom. If you don't think you can ask God for wisdom, it's because you don't know God. And maybe, just maybe, the wisest thing you could do this morning would be to meet the source of wisdom this very day. Because he will change everything about your life and you will begin a journey towards wisdom that will blow your mind. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one 
every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, oh, we live for you. Sing holy, holy. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart. Say 